Welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast, brought to you by the Rancho Cordova Film Office. I am delighted about today's show for a couple of reasons. When I first came to Rancho Cordova about three years ago to open this film office, we were very lucky to get some TV coverage about our opening. One day, a producer from ABC 10 in Sacramento called me and told me that the following morning at 5.30 a.m., their entertainment reporter would be here in our office with a crew to do a series of live shots from our offices for the Sacramento Morning Show. 5.30 a.m., I thought, is that even a time when people are up? Well, the next morning, here we were at our office, and sure enough, right on the dot at 5.30 a.m., our guest on today's show shows up. He was bright and cheery, and he came bounding into our offices with a film crew and started to immediately talk to us about the new Rancho Cordova film office. That was back in February of 2020, and that reporter was none other than Mark S. Allen. Mm-hmm. And you agreed to live on a billboard for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for that, a month. That's right. Uh, so basically, you're just going to be there for, for a month. Um, about three days into it, I got pulled off accidentally and broke both of my legs. And for fear of losing my job, went back up on it. But yeah. how did you fall off? Was it an accident? To prove I was up there, we want to make a donation. And so I get the bucket. I lower the bucket down, and they yank on the rope. Wow. And I'm I holding the other end, so it, with it pulls me off. Um, what's wild, I did like a half flip, a, a flip to where my feet ended up back down again, right when I made contact with the ground. Oh, but you got your cast and you went right back up. Mark is one of the best known and most popular local TV reporters in Sacramento today. But what sets Mark apart is that he is also well known and successful on the national stage with a series of syndicated TV shows. I had a great time talking with Mark. We talked movies, we talked celebrities, we talked local news, and we even got a little up close and personal about some issues in his life. This was a great conversation and one of my favorite episodes. Also, if you'd like to see the interview on a screen, visit our website, which is www theranchocordovapodcast.org where you will see the full interview with some added bonus footage. It's all up there for you to see. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. My name is Charles Lego. Now let's get to today's show. So Mark, you and I first met when we um, opened the Rancho Cordova film office. That's right. What a great time. Yeah. And you were the first sort of media person to reach out to us. And you said, I'm going to come and do a live shot. And sure enough, you came at 6 a.m. or maybe 5.30 a.m. <laughs> it was like 5 a.m. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> With a camera guy. And you were here most of the morning. And you did two, two, maybe three live hits. Mm-hmm. He's an extraordinaire. Yeah, this guy is a big deal in Hollywood. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you. What brings the likes of Southern California heavyweight filmmakers to Northern California? And then a couple of weeks later, we met again when I managed Cloris Leachman for many years. So I knew Ed Asner very well. Mm -hmm. And Ed Asner came and he did uh, like a, he was going to do like a book signing, like a book talk. But then I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if Mark S. Allen 
did an in conversation piece with him, and you did. And it was fantastic. Thank and you I for have, the honor, by the way. Well, I have to tell you that Ed actually, a couple of weeks later, called me because we were going to do his one-man show. Mm -hmm. But then COVID happened, of course, right? Mm -hmm. And he asked me, like, how you were doing. And he told me, and I promise you this, he told me that it was one of the best in-conversations he had had with someone. No way. Yeah. And he was very impressed with your personality and the questions that you asked him. And um, yeah, and, if, and as you said earlier, God rest his soul now, because of course he's no longer with us. But he had a great life, right? He was like 94, I oh, think. Yeah. He, he was up there. He's but done he it was, all. Former president of SAG. What he might, I would love to talk to him right, right now, former president of right. SAG. I sat in my car bawling my eyes out when I found yeah. out that he had passed away. So again, thank you for that honor. Yeah. What an extraordinary time to talk to someone who, I was a little kid and lonely on Saturday nights and would watch Ed Asner right. and the Mary Tyler Moore show. And, and, I, and I have to say, I've seen a lot of in conversations with authors and you really did do a great job. It was so captivating and you were very well researched. You had obviously looked at his book and, and it was great. I'll never forget that. And we were brand new. And I, now of course, and the space that you did it was our theater. And now the theater's all finished, and yeah, yeah, a lot has happened in those three years. What's funny with a guy like Ed Asner, so like, I mean, I I have an opportunity to talk to famous people all the time, but with, and I know this sounds like a schmucky thing to say, but with, with like Dwayne Johnson, who I idolize, I'm not that nervous, because I right. feel like I'm going to get something, if I don't get it, I'll get it next time, right, right? right? There'll be another opportunity, but with Ed Asner, I really felt at that moment, and, and lo and behold, it was true, yeah. this is a once-in-a-lifetime right, opportunity. Right. I don't want to blow this, Charles. Right. Yeah, and you didn't. So let's start at the very beginning. We're going to get into everything Mark S. Allen today, but let's start at the very beginning. I'm bored already. And a tradition on this show is we find out who our guests are. So why don't you tell us at the beginning, where were you born? Tell us about your parents and about your early life. I was born in the middle of nowhere, a little city called Odessa, Texas. Uh, you know, New Mexico is a perfect square. So if you look at the southeast corner of it, just barely step off of it, you're where I was born in Odessa, Texas. Uh, my dad was an oil man. Um, my mom was a former legal and uh, administrative secretary. As they were called back then, uh, she was once an administrative aide to the president, George Bush Sr., oh, prior wow. to him becoming president when he was a banker. Uh, changed the diaper of George W. Wow. Uh, by the way, I'm apolitical, so don't even get me started. I will no. not talk about politics ever, so that was not a political thing. Just right. kinda, it's a more of a regional thing. We were in Texas, and they were Texans, and that's how that happened. Uh, I told my mom at the age of eight that I was going to move to California and make movies because I had seen a, a Disney Sunday night special about uh, these kids that went on vacation with their parents. And while on vacation, they discovered their dad's camera and started making a movie. And that's the first time I thought, wait, you know, people can do that? You right. can make movies? So planted that seed. It didn't come to fruition until many many decades later in my life. Um, but that's who I am. Odessa, so, by the way, a full circle Odessa moment is that if you know it, it might be because of the movie or the subsequent, the, the book Friday Night Lights. Uh -huh. Bissinger from the New York Times wrote that movie at my high school during my senior year. Later, it became a movie. And so people know it from that. So you went to high school there as well? Yeah. Permian High School, Odessa, yeah. Texas. And how was Mark at high school? Were you a good student? I was like, I prided myself in being a, a B student. I was a slacker, but you know, never failing for, I feared my parents tremendously. So I didn't want to fail them. 
Uh, and I was in love with our theater department. And believe me, the theater department generally didn't get a lot of love. Like no. all the love went to the, the right. football department right. at Permian High School. Um, but I, I, I just loved creating and performing in the, and theater. So you were in theater at high school. Yeah, I was a theater Doctor, geek, as we your, were called. Yeah. Okay. Proudly. Yeah. And you have siblings? I have two brothers. Uh, if you put the three of us in a room, you'd never guess we were brothers. One's uh, a, a high-end businessman. He's just about as high as you can go at the FDIC. Um, he's the guy that, that will fly in with a giant plane full of accountants and shut banks down. Oh, really? all over the That's world. your brother? That's my brother. Wow. Um, so, like, he won't tell me. He'll say, I'll have to kill you if I tell you. But, yeah. like, um, he'll just show up. Wow. Yeah, I'm in San Francisco shutting down a bank. Wow, Couldn't wow. you warn me that you were coming? No, I can't warn you that I'm coming. So he was busy a few years ago. Busy uh, six months ago. Well, yeah. <laughs> in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then my other brother, uh, I used to always say, yeah, my other brother's a ditch digger. But let me tell you about that. He uh, started out running heavy equipment, digging ditches that are like 10 feet deep and 100 miles long. Ended up buying that piece of equipment with a partner. He now owns 20 of those pieces of equipment. Each piece is worth about a million dollars. Wow. And he digs ditches hundreds and thousands of miles long for solar power cable, for wind power cable. If you need a giant ditch, wow, he's the guy. So the Allens have done well. We, yeah. They've done infinitely better than I have. Well, we'll get to what you've done. You haven't done bad, Mark. I do. Um, I, I'm staying out of trouble lately. Yeah. So high school, was that college after that? Yeah, I started out at Texas Wesleyan University uh, in Fort Worth, uh, dabbled in SMU in Dallas. Then I uh, was working radio full-time. And that's the thing. I fell into radio while I was in high school. Um, and it kind of dictated my life. I, I ended up getting some really lucky breaks, and even though I was a high school kid and radio got offered a job in Dallas, which was one of the top five markets in America, and moved there and transferred school there as well. And then my program director was offered a job in Southern California and said, hey, I'm going to move to L.A. You got the job. It's yours for the taking. So wow. I quickly packed my bags and yeah, moved to Southern California, off. California State University. And so Right out of college, you were straight into the entertainment. Well, we'll call radio entertainment. You went straight into it. You didn't yes. have any other jobs in between. Uh, yeah, I mean, high school jobs, yeah. you know. But I, I mean, your first career choice I, was entertainment. Yeah, I was an illegal uh, worker um, at the age of like fourteen and a half, fifteen, working as an electrician's helper, getting paid under the table. And then my first real job, where I was on the payroll, um, reported for tax purposes, was working for United Artists Movie Theaters. Wow. So I was an usher. Yeah. And it started out in concession, giving yeah. you your nachos. Yeah. So let's talk about radio because that was the first thing. And you, when you, when someone is as well-known as you are and you, and you do research, there's a lot of research. So you, you may have to correct me as we sure. go. But let's see. Let's see how good we are here. If you don't bring it up, I'm going to talk about my DUI, Captain right. Reeser. We'll get to this. So you got your broadcasting start in Dallas. Would that be right? In Odessa. Odessa. Yeah. And I thought I was so great. My program director was a recent graduate of uh, Cal State San Diego um, and wanted to become a program director. So he packed his bags and moved to the middle of nowhere, Odessa, Texas. Wow. And thank God for that because John Clay, my first boss, prided himself in creating a radio station. He said, I don't care that we're in Odessa, Texas. I want my station to sound like it could be anywhere USA and like a major market station. So he wouldn't put anybody on the air that had the accent. Right. And so- And he, what kind of station was it? Was it music? Talk? Top 40. 
Top 40? Yeah, top 40 stations. So what did you do? And so I started, uh, should I tell you how I got this job? Sure, of course. So I had lied on a job application to get a job at The Gap, working in the mall. Um, let me back up. I was doing ventriloquism. I, I had injured myself severely and was laid up for a long time in elementary school. Read a book on ventriloquism. Subsequently saw a ventriloquist who came to an assembly and said, I want to do that. So I started doing it. And there are very few things that I'll say I do well, but I, confidently I can tell you I, okay, I was so, and am a damn good ventriloquist. All right, so let's stop right there. So you had a puppet? I did, a, a dummy. And you can still do it? His, yes. His, so here, the, board, the water bottle is your dummy. This is like a camera right there. I say, it's like you don't uh -huh. go into a dentist and say, hey, extract this molar right, right now. Okay. Um, maybe in a moment I'll, okay. I'll warm up to okay. it. Okay. But I was, I was doing ventriloquist with this dummy, and uh, then someone said, hey, you know, the radio station's having a, uh, an eight-week-long talent show like the gong show at the mall. You should enter. And so I entered, and lo and behold, went the distance and ended up winning the thing. It's the, the first, like, win I ever had in life. It was the first confidence-building moment of my life. And this guy came up to me and said, kid, you just won this. You just, you had, like, a 90% male audience out there and they voted on you despite the fact you were up against a belly dancer. He said, I don't know what that is, but you should probably think about going into entertainment. And specifically, if you're in Odessa, you should go into radio. I'd hire you tomorrow. Wow. Well, I just remembered that. A few years later, I had lied on a job application. I'm working at a gap in the mall, and this guy comes in and goes, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? He said, I was that kid that did ventriloquism. You told me to go into radio. I know who you are. You're John Clay. And he said, oh, yeah. So, so how old are you now? And I said, I'm, I'm 15. My manager overheard me, looked it up, fired me on the spot. Wow. He felt bad, so he said, uh, drop by the radio station, and uh, we'll talk about what we can do. And ultimately, he gave me a job sweeping floors and said if I uh, wanted to start running recorded programming, then and even now, radio stations are obligated to do so much public service, and usually that's all buried on Sunday mornings, like church programming and public service announcements. And so I was the guy that would come in and run those tapes at like 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. And then later I graduated from running that to running Casey Kasem's Weekly Top 40, Rick D's Weekly Top 40. And then each week he would have me read a newspaper article just on a cassette tape at home, bring it in, and he would coach me to help me get rid of the accent because I had it thick. I sounded like a cross between Forrest Gum and Kermit the Frog. Wow. Wow, okay. It's like 14 KRIG is Odessa Midland's number one hit music station. Here's Michael Jackson. That's how you sounded? I, I thought I had lost the accent, but I think I, I entered broadcasting sound. You know something what I like did that. see? Um, and I'm just digressing because that just reminded me. I saw, um, I'm, yeah, I did see it. I saw a YouTube clip of you, very uh, young, oh no, as a reporter. And you were going somewhere in a school, maybe in a high school. Oh, oh, that that ultimately ended up being a big break. That that's how I got into the TV. Yeah, I uh, we're gonna talk about. Yeah, now I remember now. Now I remember. And you actually, you're exactly the same. I I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. I, no, you are. You're exactly I, the same. So I can give you like a fast forward speed trip to how I got to that moment. Well, let me do this. First. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to jump past your question. So, um, so then you end up in Sacramento or Southern California. I'm in Southern California. Well, from there, I, I, so I worked my way up, started doing full-time radio while going to high school, grueling, because it was overnight. So I would do like midnight to 6 a.m. Um, on Saturdays and Sundays, which was fine. 
But then Sundays into Mondays, I'd get off at 6 and have to be at school at 7.30. You were still at school during all this time? Rough time. Yeah. Uh, And then ultimately got a scholarship in Dallas and and took my college career and ultimately ended up doing radio full-time in Dallas all at the same time. Then got the call to go to Southern California. And where in Southern California? Uh, Both Los Angeles and then the Inland Empire. Wow. Okay, I live in Palm Springs, so that's that kind of neighborhood. We we used to do events in Palm Springs all the time, especially the station I worked for. So I worked at one hundred two point seven Kiss FM in Los yeah, Angeles, yeah. and I then was great station KGGI ninety nine one that serviced the Inland Empire, including I think probably the the western part of pa- Palm, Palm Springs. Springs. Yeah, and that was a music station, and that was a top forty station as well. So were you like a music DJ? Yes, you were absolutely. Wow. Okay. And it, like I and that's a gift that anybody that that had ever done live music formatted radio in top forty in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, or this century have a skill that when a song comes on, I can start talking and I can shut up precisely exactly the moment vocals come on. And in those days, you would put the record on, right? Yeah, I have the blessing of having gone through the full gamut of radio because when I started. Some of the songs were still on vinyl, so you would right. actually have to cue them, them up on, yeah. on the record. And then the others were on what's called a cart, and a cart's like a uh, tape that's a continuous loop so that when it's through playing, it's back at the beginning again. Okay. And so that's that was the next generation. So it went um, vinyl to carts, did carts, and then later in, I was in digital where yeah. uh, we started playing CDs, and right. then later just straight off the hard drive. Right, right. So then you end up somewhere along the way at KSFM 102.5 here in Sacramento, right? KSFM 102.5, your number one hip-hop and R&B party station. That wasn't me, but that was the, the, the thing that would come on between. And how did you end up here? I, I was— Texas, Sacra- uh, Texas, Palm Springs, Yeah, LA, so, I, so I was working in Southern California, and a big broadcast company bought us and— they started offering these incentives to anybody. They purchased a radio station up in Sacramento, and they said, we'll offer you big bucks if you'll take a job and go to Northern California and start up this station. And a buddy of mine that I'd grown up with, a gifted filmmaker, as it turns out, and someone that was handpicked by Steven Spielberg at one time to go to the impacted USC film school, who also, like me, did radio, said, I'm taking the bait. I'm going up to Sacramento, so you should do it too. So sight unseen, because he was like a big brother to me, I took the bait, took the job in Sacramento, and I thought, wow, if L.A. is this awesome, how great must the state capitol be? Right. So I took the job, moved up, and it was a little bit smaller than right, I thought. Right. But at the same time, the radio station that they purchased, of all the broadcast entities I've ever worked for, TV included, it was probably the nicest studio. They spent millions on this building. It's still the building still exists, and architecturally, it's one of the gems of Sacramento. Uh, it used to be called the Landmark Building at Arden and Howe. It's a high-rise building spread out and just a, architecturally beautiful. Inside, it's like a crystal palace, and they occupied the entire top floor. Wow! And God, I thought I arrived. Uh, take- they're not there now. The radio station's not no. there. The radio station still exists, but it's not yeah. there. And that was back in the day where one radio station, one building. Now it's 100 radio stations. Right, right. And what year room. are we now? Where are we? 1987. 1987. So then you worked in radio from 87 to when? So I'm working radio in 87. Uh, 19, I, I might jump over one of your questions by answering this. I'm working in radio in 1987. 
1988, I'm doing a stunt where I live on a highway billboard 24 hours a day to raise money for muscular dystrophy. Um, about three days into it, I got pulled off accidentally and broke both of my legs. And for fear of losing my job, went back up on it. Right. It was a slow news period. And so... you did just jump over my killer question. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. But that's fine. Anyway, no, no, it's good. It's anyway, good. basically, radio in Sacramento from 87 to 93, moved to New York City for a couple of years and then moved back. And... Back. Okay. So actually, that actually, you brushed over it, but it was actually quite an important event that you did. And it was also it didn't end well for you and then you went back so the way i see it it was for muscular dystrophy right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you agreed to live on a billboard for 24 hours a day seven days a week for that, a month that's right uh, so basically you're just going to be there for for a month right 24 hours a day not an unusual stunt like billboard sitting began yeah. someone else had done it in the late 70s right i just thought but then you fell off right that, right. that made it a little bit different and yeah. it was a slow news week and you hurt yourself right i, I mean you broke bones in your legs and the your head feet. and neck of the metatarsal and phalanges both feet and my knee and both legs and so did concussion. you end up in hospital so originally it happened about two o'clock in the morning and but the, how did you fall off was it an accident uh, yes uh, so there was a bucket that I would lower down and people would make a donation into it. And I'd pull up their money and put it into a giant bag into a safe up there. Uh, and some people came by in the middle of the night and said, hey, you're not really up there, are you, faker? And I said, no, I really am up here. And I popped out of this two-foot wide tent to prove I was up there. We want to make a donation. And so I get the bucket. I lower the bucket down. And they yank on the rope. Wow. And I'm and holding the other end. So it, with it pulls me off. Um, what's wild, I did like a half flip, uh, a flip to where my feet ended up back down again, right when I made contact with the ground. I just remember wearing like pretty thick high tops. And I really think that kind of saved me a little bit. And I did kind of a parachute land where I went feet to knee to wow. shoulder to head. Wow. Um, did damage, but like I, I probably... Had I landed any other way, I'd die. And had it happened tomorrow, I certainly would have died because there's a spiked fence that runs the wow. length where I landed now. Oh, but you got your cars and you went right back up. Well, I was in shock and these guys uh, drove by and saw it happen. And they were the football team for a Encino High that happened to be out goofing around. And I begged them to put me back up there. And they kind of made a human chain and pulled me back and put me back up on the billboard. So I, I stayed the night. And then the next day, the uh, promotions director who helped co-conceive the, the idea with me, Mike Rogers, still lives in Sacramento, said, you got to come down. You're gonna, you, I, if you die, it's on us. You're coming down. <laughs> yeah, that would be a problem. So the American River Fire Department, which is now Sac Metro, came by and lowered me down, took me to a hospital, and I was put in a cast. And I said, well, now that I'm treated, doctor, could I go back up? He said, you're, you're going to be in an immense amount of pain. Uh, and you're going to be on medication. And I said, what if I were safety harnessed in? Could I go back up? He said, yeah, I, mean, I see no problem with that. And so everybody agreed. And the fire department put me back up on the billboard, and I remained up there for another three weeks. Wow. It's a slow news period, so every TV I'm station sure. in town came by to do, like, news reports and weather reports. And uh, ultimately, CBS Evening News ended up picking, up picking it up nationally. And a producer in San Francisco that was working on PM Magazine called one of his Sacramento contacts, a brilliant man named Matt Chan, um, who called me up and said, hey, we think you'd be great on TV. You got anything that you do on the radio that would translate to television? And I said, I do this segment on, the on radio called Dateless and Desperate. 
where I hook up the forlorn and uh, it seems to work well. And he said, all right, go shoot a pilot of what that would look like on TV. So I did that. Right. It took off and we did it locally for about a year. But then that show, a kid's show called Scratch, got picked up nationally and ran nationally and internationally from like 90 to 94. Yeah. That was on national air. And that's a great segue because you, you went from radio to the show that you just mentioned. But what did you have a stint on KZZO? Oh, yes, I did. That was later. Yeah, later? Yeah, much, much later. So the um, the show was de- Dateless and Desperate, and That's it was a segment about teen romance, right? Is yeah. It, you would hook kids up? Yeah, no social media back then, so people would, like, physically write us letters. And we would get bags full of mail from all over the nation from people that had a crush on someone they went to school with or a neighbor, someone from church or work or wherever. And then we would have a team almost like an investigative reporter show, a team would get in cahoots with either their workplace or their school or church, talk to their friends and family, their near circle. And ultimately we would arrange something where we could go and practically abduct them. We would pull them out of work or class and say, you wrote us this letter. Tell us about this person you're in love with. And then they would be like in shock practically and tell us about their love of that person. And then we would persuade them to confront that person they loved wow. and ask them out on a date. And if the person said yes, we would provide them with some massive date package. Wow. Um, and was that a show here? It was here, right, in Sacramento? started out locally from 88 to 90 and then nationally 90 yeah. to 94. And people that were on it, Lisa Ling, my former co-host, went on to become yeah, an no, Edward Lisa R. Murrow yeah. winning, like, yeah, yeah. incredibly famous Documentary national filmmaker, yeah. Yeah, one of the, the original cast members of The View and a brilliant documentary She was filmmaker. your co-host on that? Yeah. She was? Yeah, and, and, and also instrumental in helping me get my first big agent. Wow. Um, yeah, which landed me the job on Comedy Central. So now we're going to talk about TV, and we're going to preempt talking about television by telling everyone that doesn't know that you're a seven-time Emmy Award winner. So seven Emmys. Which means they're just giving them to anybody now, well, evidently. you know, like Cloris Leachman had the title of having the most Emmys. Oh, yeah. But I have, I thought she was up there, like in the seven to nine. Maybe she had nine. I don't know. I saw them in her house, yeah. all lined up. She had her Emmys and her Oscar and maybe a BAFTA. I can't remember. But the Emmys were very impressive, all lined up. I there was a whole more. She's so brilliant. But anyway, you got seven, which is quite an achievement, I have to say. So let's talk about the Comedy Central. Now, you replaced John Stewart. Yes. Like the great John Stewart and Patty Rossborough. Yes. On a show called Short Attention Span Theatre. That's right. So this was on Comedy Central. That's right. So let me, but before we go there, did you meet John Stewart? Yeah, I, I did. Um, and this is what I tell people, you, you always hear this, especially now, people are saying, I'm going to manifest it. I'm going to make it so. I'm going to manifest it. And that agent I told you about said, so where do you see yourself in five years? What would you like? What would make you happy, Mark? And I said, Comedy Central has a show called Short Attention Span Theater, wow. hosted by John Stewart and Patty Rossborough, two fun young comedians. And I said... I would love to do something like that. If ever there were a world where I could do something like that, that would be great. Um, And then lo and behold, about three weeks later, she called and she said, I don't know who you know. You won't believe this. Um, Jon Stewart is leaving Comedy Central. 
Um, he's walking out of his contract to take a job with MTV, the John Stewart show. And P- Patty Rossborough is going out on maternity leave. And she said when she finishes that, she just wants to hit the road as a stand-up, doesn't want to do the show anymore. Um, they want you to fly into New York and do an on-camera edition. Um, and I said, I got, I've got to be in Hawaii tomorrow. She said, cancel your vacation. I said, it's not vacation. It's for scratch. I'm doing a date list and desperate in Honolulu. And she said, she called me back. She said, okay, we've got you on a flight. The moment you clear, you're flying straight to New York. You land and you go do your on-camera audition. Wow. So I did that, landed in New York. And before I landed back on the West Coast, um, th- there was a message on my machine saying that the job was mine for wow. the taking. So I took in- it. So are we in 93 now? Yeah. We're, no, we're 19. Uh, yes, we are. 1993. So I I have to say, I mean, I don't know if I was even in America then, but what is the show Short Attention Span Theater? So give us a quick so again, elevator pitch for, of it. For, you know how you, you find something that interests you on YouTube and then boom, YouTube will pull something else up right. that's along the same right. lines. You fall down that rabbit hole. Well, prior to social media, it was kind of like that. Each hour had to do with a different subject. And so let's say the subject was air travel. Well, then we would just have clips of like, we'd pull a a shot of like a sitcom about air travel or maybe a late night talk show saying something about air travel and just go, it was a clip show where we'd go through all these clips. And it was comedy, obviously. It was comedy. And I would host the the ins and outs of all of these clips. And then every show would have a guest for like the last 15 minutes. So... Um, it would be a big stand-up comic. Like I remember we'd air travel and then we end up talking to Dave Chappelle. And wow. Dave Chappelle would riff with me about air travel for 15 minutes. And so that was the show. Um, and, and I can tell you, uh, like John Stewart was not as famous as he is now, but I can tell you a fun full, stru- sure. full circle moment with John Stewart. Yeah. So he went off to do his own thing and did the other thing. And um, our show changed format a little bit and I got to sit in and, and audition and then hire a field reporter the show, for the show. So we'd have someone that would go to different comedy venues and do a live report with me on the show. It was a live show that we did every day. And I got to hire this woman named Liz Winstead. Well, ultimately, two years later, the show had run its course and they said, hey, we're, we're changing the format. It's going to be a half hour show and, and we're going a different direction. So thank you and goodbye. And they ended up hiring Mark Marin, who again a brilliant comedian. Yeah. I'd like I have I was the horrible filling between an amazingly talented sandwich. Um so fast forward, that show ends up being canceled as well. Um, Liz Winstead is still under contract. And they said, Liz, just start pitching us things and you're still under contract. Pitch us things and we'll, maybe we'll go with it. She pitched an idea for a show shot in the same studio, but instead of lampooning comedy would be a very um, orthodox attempt at a newscast, but really making fun of the headlines, calling it The Daily Show. She created The Daily Show. Hired Craig Kilborn from ESPN to do it for a year. Uh, That didn't work out, and she got Jon Stewart to come back to where it all began, and thus The Daily Show. Wow, okay. So then we now will end up here now. 1996, I believe, you end up at the at ABC 10 in Sacramento, which is the CBS affiliate, right? Uh, actually, 96. So that show, Comedy Central, ended. I developed a development deal with Paramount Television to create a show for syndication, which brought me back to the West Coast. My old radio boss said, if you're on the West Coast anyway, want to come back and do radio? So I did mornings on KSFM, the station oh, that I okay. started at. Did mornings for a while with a woman named Tina Makua. Again, and, a music show. Yeah, music yeah. format show, but a little more talk because yeah. now I'm in the morning instead right, of the nighttime. Right. 
And she said, "And those shows, by the way, are very powerful. In those days, the morning, oh yeah, I the mean, drive time show was the primo show. Howard Stern, right? The Howard Stern time slot in those it's days, a great slot to yeah. have. A lot of people are watching. It's where all right. the advertising dollars right. go." And my co-host said, "Hey, I, I, my agency has gotten a call. They're creating like a talk show um, on TV uh, on the CW affiliate. That's not true. It was like the WB affiliate, yeah, at the time." Um, I'm going, you want to come? And I said, I still have six months left on my contract. She said, well, I'm going, meet me over there. So she went and started a show called Good Day Sacramento. Right. And then six months later, I joined her. And you were there for a while. Now I 20 read, years. So here's what I read, that you were the entertainment anchor, the film critic, mm-hmm. the arts and entertainment host, and mm-hmm. the stuntman. Yeah, what I love about it, Brent Bader, who created that show, um, loved news. And so like... He would, like, hell hath no fury like a day where we missed some big news headline that was going on. But with equal passion, he loved, like, what Letterman was doing back right, in the day right, with right. the Belco suits on right, the wall. Right, 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 So it, it, it better be taking advantage of live television, whether it be live breaking news or you doing some right. dumbass thing right. that people can't turn their head away from on live TV. So I could say... Hey, I want to Velcro myself into a porta potty. Let's put it on a crane and suspend it. Uh, let's fill the reservoir of the porta potty with chocolate milk, suspend me from 200 feet, and then swing it like a big bowling competition against a hay bale stacked like like hay, right. like hence, uh, bowling balls. Hence and, the stuntman moniker. And on that note, another crazy thing that you did, and I hope this is correct, and I have even have the date on October 30th of 2015. Sharks were spotted in San Francisco Bay and actually bit people. So you decided to do what everybody would do, and that's to (laughs) swim from the Bay Bridge to the Golden Gate Bridge. And not only would you do that, you were going to be live on TV when you did that. Nonstop. So there was no faking it. Yeah. I don't know if you like television technology when they say we two box it. So like like if there's a storm coverage, you'll see the main show. Right. And then they'll have a tiny box they'll put up where they keep the feed going. So I was either live actively on TV or in that little box. So you literally swam from one bridge to the other. Yeah, they. I had done the year before. I swam from Alcatraz on live TV, and it, it, that's like a forty-five minute swim. They said, "What are you going to do to top it next year?" And jokingly, I said, "I'm going to swim from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Bay Bridge, or vice versa." And they held me to it, and so they said, "Hey, by the way." You're doing that stunt for sweeps. Anybody that knows anything about TV knows they put a little more emphasis into right. certain periods where the advertisers are watching. And so they said, you're going to be doing that somewhere at or near November 1st. And I said, but I haven't trained or anything. They said, you better get to it. So I had four weeks to train for it. Um, and then also check the, the timing tables to find out which direction I was going to swim because you don't want to swim right. against current. Right. Um, and so this stunt was planned. Now, kind of like what you said uh, about... A week out, the very first great white shark attack in the history of the San Francisco Bay took place pretty much right along the lane where I was going to be swimming. About, you know, 100, 200 yards off shore, that line, that's where it happened. And uh, I was convinced. Like, I um, I wrote letters to my— food? Yeah, I wrote letters to my children. I uh, put little sticky tabs of things I want each of them to have once I was pronounced dead from the shark attack. Right. I, my life was going to end that next day. So here's some questions I have. How long did the swim take? And it was one one thing, right? You didn't stop. You just started. I jumped in and... live at 4.35 a.m. that morning. Was it cold? Oh, yeah, cold. Um, 
and dark. That yeah. was the scariest thing. And they had a, a support boat, this brilliant, this great stuntman for feature films. Like the second unit director of Terminator 2, Gary Davis, was on the, the boat that was actually doing rescue should I've gotten attacked by a shark. But he had this spotlight that he would shine down on me and it would cast my shadow down to the ocean floor, wherever, causing all these shadows that I, were con- I was convinced were sharks <laughs> coming at me. Uh, then the sun came out. Things got a little bit better. Jumped in at 435, and I think I wrapped it up at eight eight at 839. Wow, four hours. Yeah, a little over four hours. Wow. And it's a, a six-mile swim. And did you I have, like, secu- well, you said you had the support boat, but, I mean, they must have taken the shark thing seriously, right? I mean, you They did. That's had. the whole reason he was there. Yeah. Um, just in case, like, great white sharks usually will, will hit once and then let the thing, whatever it is, bleed out and wow. then come back to devour it. So wow, you're a true action man. They were hoping that after the shark took the first bite, they'd be able to scoop me up and save my life. Uh, and how long were you on, um, Good Mo- on Good Day Sacramento? 20 years. 20 years. And during that time, one thing that you're known for is to do all the red carpets, right? Yes. Um, you would go and you do that. So in, tw- in 2008, you and Chris O'Donnell, the actor, yes, um, we co-hosted. co-hosted the Critics' Choice Award. This is in 2008. On VH1. The, on VH1, the red carpet pre-show. Which Was that the first big sort of event like that that you did? I had done a few, and and like again, just luck as it were. So I, I started doing these celebrity interviews and started meeting people for the first time that do the same thing. And a guy named Sam Rubin in Los Angeles, uh, who's still doing what he does, best of the best, said, "Hey, we want to start a broadcast film critics club for America." He said the Hollywood Foreign Press has their thing, and it's actually huge in America. Yet America has nothing its equivalent. So we started the Broadcast Film Critics Association. It was 12 of us. We could fit in this room. And in fact, the very first meeting of the Broadcast Film Critics Association was in a room not too much bigger than this. 12 of us. And we decided to make it a thing. And then the next year, there were 25 of us. We had sent out a press release that George Lucas was going to win a Lifetime Achievement Award. And, and I think Sam or Joey Berlin, our president at the time, said, hey, Lucasfilm said they're going to send a representative to pick it up. And so we all sat there eating crappy sandwiches in the Swiss Hotel by the Beverly Center. There's a knock on the door. We open the door. It's George Lucas. Wow. He walks in to pick up his award. We don't even have a seat for him. Like somebody, I may have been the one that got booted. Right. Um, and to, he pulled up the seat. He sat with us with Peter McAllen, his producing partner, for about 30 minutes and gave us some ideas and said, you really should grow this thing. He said, why do you not have... Uh, voting a voting process for all the same awards that the Academy Awards does. And so we took that you advice, did? grew our, next year we were 100 strong and had our, our event at the Beverly Hills Hotel, took it seriously. Every single star that went on to win the Academy Award that year were also you- at our stupid little luncheon that we had. And that is what became the Critics' Choice Awards. And it grew and began televised maybe five years after that initial meeting in a room like this. Now it's a thing uh, that's on some national TV, yeah, yeah. Outlet, be no, it no. E or VH1. No, no, it's a big deal now. And, that, and that's yeah. what I was hosting, yeah. So during that time, you met a lot of, you interviewed a lot of people. So I've seen clips of you do it. Mm-hmm. So let's, I've got a little list. Um, so let's talk about a couple. We'll start, I'll, I'll start off with one. Okay. So probably, arguably one of the best actors in the world, Tom Cruise. Yes. So there's a, there's a very famous picture of you 
I think you hug him or you hug each other or you're you're certainly talking. So talk about what was that like to talk to someone of like Tom Cruise? So gosh, so much to talk about. Um the like Tom Cruise was uh that one that kept getting away. I'd wanted to interview him and I'd been interviewing. I'd interviewed so many Academy Award winners and famous people, but for some reason Tom Cruise had evaded me. Uh and I, I'm not sure how or why, but um, ultimately, my first interview with Tom Cruise came at the greatest moment. Uh, one of my first segment editors when I arrived at Good Day Sacramento was this guy named Joe Carnahan, who said, I'm going to make a movie. Want to help me make a movie? And I said, you know, this is right when digital production began and everybody was making a movie. And I said, yeah, good luck with that. I'll do whatever you want to do. Well, lo and behold, this guy is crazy, wicked, talented, and made a movie called Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane um, that won the Sundance Film Festival that year. And he was quickly becoming a very famous director. He's, his next movie was called Narc. And Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner, his production partner, saw Narc and loved it so much, they bought it to be released as a Paramount picture, executive produced by Tom Cruise. And then Tom hired Joe to write Mission Impossible 3. And then right about that time, I got called by the publicist saying, hey, um, Tom Cruise uh, is in this new Spielberg movie, and he wants you to interview him. And so I got called up to interview so him. So he for, asked you to interview him? Well, I mean, I make it sound fancy people, like that. People, but, it, yeah. but it, ultimately, yeah. it, I just – they checked the box. This guy can come too. Yeah. So I went to Seattle to, to interview him for that. Got to talk to him about my buddy, um, Joe. And that was my first Tom Cruise interview. The moment you're talking about is absolutely one of the best movie experiences I've had in my life. Um, Christopher Quarry, the director of the most recent Mission Impossible movie, who has become a good friend and, and producing partner with Tom Cruise, um, did a movie called Night and Day. Um, are you familiar with it? Um, yes. Uh, with Cameron Diaz. Yes. Um, and it's probably one of the most underrated Tom Cruise movies ever. It's a great movie. Um, but I was asked if I wanted to participate in some of the stunts. So I went to Sevilla, Spain, Spain, where I drove in a car with Cameron Diaz for like four hours of wow. her doing all of these. She can drift like no other. She is a, a really skilled stunt driver. So I'm driving with Cameron Diaz, uh, alternately chasing a stunt person on a Tom Cruise-like motorcycle, and then later actually chasing Tom Cruise around. And I've got the video and the still that you're talking about with me hugging him. The car fishtails around with her. I get out of the car. I kiss the ground. I stand up. Tom Cruise gets off his Ducati, comes over, and we hug it out. And I go, so this is what you do for a living. Right. And we had just the best interview. But that's probably one of the best movie moments I've ever had. Right. And we're going to talk about um, some people. But talk about Mark at the Movies. So that's a movie review show that you created. I have 2009. And it started here, right, in Sacramento? Yeah. So the, the, the style of interviews that I've done up until this point are sit-down interviews where the studio sets them up. They gut a hotel room, not unlike what you have going on here, and put a two-camera shoot-up and throw the celebrity in there. And then they parade 25 of us through there. 25 of the, the nation's top entertainment journalists get to interview the talent one at a time for about five minutes. It's called a junket interview. Yeah. This guy who's a good friend of mine and now a, like an entertainment mogul named Byron Allen who spun that off without any outside camera whatsoever, made a show out of it. So in other words, the interview I'm doing now, there are two cameras pointed at us. Um, and if I was doing a show, I would just like look at that one camera and say, hey, welcome back to Entertainers. I'm Mark S. Allen talking with Charles about 
Rancho Cordova podcast. So Charles, so what he's done there, he's just taking advantage. These aren't even his cameras. The right. studio's provided right, right, these cameras. Right. He's getting all of his in and outs. Made a show out of it. Made a killing. And I thought, yeah, maybe there's room for another one of those yeah. shows. So I started doing kind of the same thing, only I would package the show. And instead of using those cameras, we would have a panel of, of people talking about movies. And then I would throw to my interview with Charles or whoever I was talking to. And made a show out of it. Uh, it got uh, purchased by Reels Channel Network. So we did 387 episodes of that for Reels Channel Network. And, and it was, and it got syndicated, right? Yeah, everywhere. We syndicated by Reels Channel, uh, you know, 168 different countries and territories worldwide. Now, do the Emmy start coming in now? Yeah, those it's, were the first two yeah. Emmy Awards. Yeah. Yeah. 2010, won, 2011. It won the first Emmy Award for just an entertainment show. Well, as I have heard that you won two Emmys in 2010. That's right. And it, one in 2011. It won entertainment show two years in a row, but that first year, it also won new, there was a special Emmy for new technologies. And pre Zoom, there was a platform called Skype. And I think it was like the wow. first time people saw people wow. doing that. And we were bringing normal viewers in. Hey, if you want to talk to us about Minority Report, jump on Skype now. And then we would bring them into the interview. Wow. So it sounds like no big deal now. But if you think about 2009, it was huge. Then 2017 came a bigger show. It became a bigger show, Extra Butter TV, which you not only hosted, but did you produce that? You produced that, right? Yeah, I had the good fortune when ABC... Uh, Tegna and, you know, locally, ABC 10, when I joined forces with them, they were uh, kind enough to offer me. They said, hey, if you could make that show happen or anything like it, let's do it. And so a team of really talented people over there swiftly pulled together a show kind of like Market the Movies, but uh, it was being called Popcorn. I remember leaving to do an interview one time with someone and they were to give me the treatment of what the titles and graphics were going to look like. Right. And I left and I came back to look at what the titles for a show called Popcorn was going to look like. And they called it Extra Butter. So what? what's Extra Butter? Right. They said, well, doesn't that sound better? They yeah. said, what? Yeah. It yeah, does. it does. It does actually. A lot better. And that was syndicated to 27 countries and that two more Emmys came from that. One uh, in 2017 yeah. and one in 2019. So now the Emmys are rolling in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll have to look and like, honestly, I, I I can't remember, but like two more came out of it too. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember the year specifically. Oh, so another two from four? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now we get into the people that you've interviewed. So I'm just going to run the names. We've already spoken about one, Emily Blunt. So we'll, we'll forget She's her. She's lovely. So Killian Murphy, obviously very relevant today, Oppenheimer. Yeah, I just talked to him in New York yeah. a couple of weeks yeah. ago. There will be a day it probably never happens again. Thank God for him keeping it I hope alive. not. I hope not. Yeah, he, he, he makes films to be seen on the biggest screen possible, to be watched by strangers in a dark room. And there's something beautiful and romantic about that. My, my trusted researcher, Raphael here, our engineer, he's the one who gave me this so list. So Killian Murphy, I, like, he's one of those guys that just has this look that, that is indistinguishable. Like the moment you see him, you know, this guy is going to be a huge star. And I talked to him at either Sundance one of the film festivals a long time ago about a movie called 28 Days, and it's a, a zombie movie, but it's a zombie movie um, like you've never seen before. It's the first time zombies were running, and he was really great in it. And I thought, that guy's going to go on to be very famous. And a few years later, I interviewed him for um, uh, a movie where he was the bad guy who was taking hostages on a plane. I think it was Red Eye, but I might be lying. 
if not Red Eye, there were two Hostage on a Plane movies the same year, and he was in one of them, yeah. and and a slightly bigger star. Went on to do Dark, was in Dark Knight, the Batman movies, um, and interviewed him like last week, a couple weeks ago in New York City for Oppenheimer. And he's going to be nominated for, if not win the Academy right. Award this year, I guarantee it. Yeah, um, he's one of those guys that, like I, I lean kind of silly and flippant, and I try to have fun and funny. But he's one of those guys you sit down with, and you know that you're not going to get that. Right. So I had a very pleasant interview with right, him, right, right. knowing and respectfully that he's probably going to win the Academy Award. Matt Damon. Uh, interviewed Matt Damon when. So Matt Damon broke out a little bit before Ben Affleck. He was starting to get cast in, in things and starting to get recognized, but sat down with him for the first time for this movie that he and Ben wrote called Goodwill Hunting. Right. Um, and again, the world knew that his trajectory was right. launching. And uh, I'll throw Ben in there. When when people talk about Matt Damon and Ben Affleck a lot, most people say, oh, Matt seems like a good guy. Ben seems like he might be kind of douchey it's not true. They're both super kind guys. Yeah, yeah. Matt just has a, a more personable forward yeah. face. Um, both super kind guys, super talented guys. I've interviewed Matt Damon on average twice a year, every year for the last 22 years. He has never had a bad day. He is yeah. always pleasant. And, and you kind. say that, you know, I managed Tom Sizemore for many years. He died obviously this year, but, um, I have met. I met a lot of people. Not interview them like you did. I just meet them. You're in the I'm, right social yeah. circles. So Matt Damon, I've certainly met, and and Ben Affleck, very very. I sat next to him at the uh, at a screening of Argo. Oh, okay. Like he literally sat right next <laughs> to me. Very very nice guy. Uh, can I tell you a Matt Damon story? Sure. A Ben Affleck sure. story. So market the movies. We prided ourselves each week. Like a lot of the shows, like Extra and Access Hollywood. They'll have like celebrity, what's called bumps, where they'll have a celebrity going, hi, I'm Matt Damon. You're watching Extra. Right. Um, and then we thought, that's so cheesy because no one would ever say that. And so Mark in the Movies, we prided it in having celebrities insult the show at the beginning. And can may I curse on this? Will you, of course. Will you bleep yeah, it? Yeah. I, I, I'll bleep myself. But yeah. anyway, um, I said, hey, Ben, could I ask you to do me a huge favor? We start our show with an insult. Um, it's Mark at the Movies. And if you just introduce yourself, insult it, and like whatever you say, I would have nothing to do with him. Cam, his show, and do if you're watching this. They played the wrong thing. That was the wrong thing. Where are my enemies? So now Raphael's hero, Christopher Nolan. Just talk to him yeah. as well. If they can, on the biggest screen projected in 70 millimeter film. Really, this is all aimed at immersing the audience in the story giving them uh, an entertaining experience. I mean, entertainment's a strange word to use in relation to such an you know, intense story. Not a guy to get silly with. Um, I, I praise him for what he's done for cinema, keeping film alive, shooting everything. Is Not he serious? Him. Is he a very serious guy when you talk to him? He's a very serious guy. And, you know, when we talk about people historically like Mozart, he, a uh, hundred years from now, two years from now, he will be among the filmmakers that are absolute right. genius. Yeah. Every nuance of the film, like from the color of the thumbtack on the wall to the film, the lens, the glass, where it was manufactured, what year that lens was made. He's in control of all of it. And a lot of times when people are that technical, they're not good actor directors. At the same time, he also has that nuanced skill of getting the performance out of the actor, right. the, the absolute best performance. Margot Robbie. Um, 
Margot Robbie is the person that you would hope she would be. She's smart and funny and kind and whatever that je ne sais quoi is, whatever that like X factor thing is, um, she's got it. She's got it tremendously. And I, I could name like a handful of actors and actresses that are as talented and as smart and as attractive but they're not as kind. Right. Like she just, you want her to win. She's just like uh, ridiculously grounded for someone who's going to have such an extraordinary life. And look at her now. And still, she's still kind. So in addition to all these achievements, television, radio, you have made a big name for yourself in filmmaking. And we'll get to that. But before we do that, let's get a little serious here, just for a couple of minutes. A couple of big events that happened in your life. It's no secret, and you're very open about it, that you got a couple of DUI charges. You owned up to both of them. You took responsibility for both immediately, Mm -hmm. and you accepted the consequences. Um, So let's talk about that because I know that's important to you. Yeah, so uh, I was a super introverted kid and grew up in West Texas, and it was nothing to start drinking beer at 14. Everybody was drinking, and... That graduated into my late high school, college life, and I started drinking at parties. And they call it a social lubricant, and I was one of the people that would really take advantage of that. And that was a habit that lasted my whole life. And I'm not going to say that, like, I regret it all. Like, I had some really good times. I loved the parties. And not just the alcohol, I just loved, I liked just the culture of, like, getting loose and having fun. Um, unfortunately I, I kind of would always use that to loosen up on stage or let's see, I was fatigued from having done a morning show, but now I'm hosting some gala. Well, a few cocktails in, suddenly you're not fatigued anymore. Right. You, you're ready to go. And that was kind of my MO and it, it was becoming a problem. And I, I even knew that it was becoming a problem, but didn't address it. Well, I took a, um, a year off drinking in the, the, what year would that have been? 91. I took a year off drinking because I knew that I had a, an issue with it and then started again thinking, well, I must not have an issue because yeah, I right. took a year off. Right. I'm not one of those people. Um, and then it started creeping up again. And in 96, I'd been wine tasting and dropped someone off at the airport and uh, was pulled over in the process of swiftly dropping them off and had my first DUI. And it, it rattled me a little bit. And I thought, I, I've got to really watch this. Um, but I think most people would say that guy's going to be in trouble. He's going to be back again. He's not taking this seriously enough. And, and I didn't. And almost 10 years later, um, I was at a Christmas party and left that party to go to another party and had more alcohol, got on the freeway, knew that I shouldn't be driving. So swiftly got off the freeway. Someone saw me like get on and swiftly get off the freeway. Called that in as suspected DUI, so officers in Roseville were correctly looking for me. Pulled over in old Roseville to see if I could find a charging cable to get my phone powered up, thinking I might use Lyft or Uber. Um, But before I could find it, all of a sudden my car was really illuminated because there were lights from officers (laughs) from every direction. I was three sheets to the wind. I knew that I had a problem, and like I can remember being drunk and simultaneously thinking, Oh, so this is how I fix this. This is how it's gonna. This yeah. is how it's gonna turn. And then you do something every anniversary. I've read that you host a like segment on TV, where you participate in a ride along with the officer who arrested you. Is that correct? I do, Alex. Yeah. Alex from uh, Roseville PD. Um, he's the guy that that ultimately saved my life and changed yeah. my life. 
And, uh, and that ride along is serves the purpose for from your perspective for what to bring awareness to drink driving. Yeah, uh, because my first DUI, I sat in so many like rehab circles where like most of the rehab people were, were like angry at their arresting officer and said, you know, I was almost home or right, this or right. that. It was always someone else's fault. Right. And then I realized that these people are out there, right, not just trying to generate revenue. They're trying to yeah, to keep everybody keep everybody yeah, safe. Yeah. And like, I don't want someone out there driving drunk with my family. And so he did the right thing. He saved my life, and I just wanted to remind people of yeah. that. And you're friendly with him. Yeah, I, yeah. We, uh, I used to just see him on the anniversary, but uh, he would show up in time for the broadcast and leave. But we usually like we'll have breakfast or whatever. Right. COVID accepting, we we try to get together. But now, then another event, and I now I know you because this happened in in May of 2021, an event that must have really affected your life, and that's when your son Jackson, who was 18 was in a terrible accident and he was severely burned. That must have been a really bad time for you personally. Mm -hmm. And um, do you want to do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that, that was the lowest point of uh, my life when yeah. you get that call. Of course. Um, and Especially fire. I mean, if someone has an accident, they break. Their, but someone catches fire. I mean, that's not. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. He was sitting around. We're around a table that's about four feet in diameter. And so he was sitting about as far away as I am from you talking to a friend at a bonfire. Uh, the pandemic was still just on the tail end, but still yeah. going. And so yeah. any kind of get together like that, especially for a school, had to be distanced. So they were outside in a backyard, distanced to that degree. And uh, someone saw a can of gasoline on the opposite side of the fire and thought, I'm going to stoke the fire a little right. bit, put it in. And the the person who did it is and will always be one of my son's best friends. And right. he is a good kid. Right. Didn't mean to hurt anybody, of course but not. went yeah. to tip the, the gas can towards the fire. It didn't even get that far. The fumes from it, uh, the fire found the fumes. It exploded. The past of least resistance is that opening in the front. So it is essentially just became a giant ignited gasoline cannon and sprayed my son and uh, the guy next to him, his other friend. And uh, they, so they were both in, very quickly engulfed in flames and were, you know, you always hear drop and roll. And I think he even knew that, but you're in shock at that right. point. So he ran into the house wow. on fire. Um, and then they turned him around and pushed him out. Someone finally tackled him to the ground and got him out, but much damage had been done. Yeah, um, third degree burns? What's that? Third oh, degree, yeah. yeah. Third degree burns over 28% of his body. Um, yeah, that's terrible. And how is he doing today? Uh, healed. All like all the surgeries were done. done. Yeah. He came through them with, with flying colors. The, the, the medical technology they use, like his arm and hand peeled off like a glove yeah. on one side. Yeah, yeah. And they rebuilt that with skin grafts. And like here today, you wouldn't be able to see it. Like yeah. he, they've yeah. done such a nice yeah, job. Yeah. The healing is going so well. So he's doing good. He's, like, yeah. um, it's nothing a wetsuit won't cover, like no. you say. Yeah. And, uh, he, he's, yeah, he's doing well. Good. But, all right, let's move on to a happier subject and talk about something that I know a little bit about, and that's yes. filmmaking, the subject of making movies. And you, Mark Allen, are quite the movie producer. But not only that, you're also a writer, you're a director, 
and you're an actor. You've acted in in a couple of movies. <laughs> Just to be goofy and like, right? But you've very, done it though, to the extent that Alfred Hitchcock's in his movies. So let's get into your films and let's look at your credits. And you know, I know we're you know you're a busy guy, so we're going to sort of speed through this. Okay. So I I think I have them in order. So 2019. I'm going to tell you the film and then you tell us a little quick synopsis of each okay. one. So 2019, you produced and co-wrote a film, Apparition, and you had two well-known actors, Mina Savari and Kevin Pollack. So yeah. talk about that one. So uh, the my best movie friend on the planet, Howard Bird, my producing partner, um, and after that second DUI, when I was sidelined, I was on suspension for six months. He said, hey, buddy, now that you're not talking about movies, you want to make movies? And so he gave me a job as an associate producer on a film called Notorious Nick. And it was, uh, as you know, it takes a minute to raise funds. The bigger the budget the movie requires, the longer it's going to take to get that together. And Notorious Nick was kind of stalling. And I said, hey, I know a horror movie that we could shoot in less than a month that we could do on a fraction of the budget, almost single location in this 18th century castle. Uh, and it practically writes itself because there are plenty of haunted tales truly associated with the castle. So lo and behold, Howard and I wrote the movie Apparition with a guy named Rob Rose, who had written um, a movie for Chris Pine called Stretch. Three of us knocked out that movie. Howard and I finished it, went to set. I think it was going to be Mina Savari and Carrie Elway's you know, oh, the actor yeah, Carrie Elwes. Yeah. And then he had to bow out because of a shooting conflict. And the agent said, what about Kevin Pollack? We're like, Kevin Pollack's yeah. nothing like Carrie Elwes. Right. Well, let's do it. Yeah. And Kevin Pollack came in and did a great job. Wow. Our young entrepreneurs in that movie was Annalisa Cochran, who booked Cobra Kai, who ended up being on one yeah, of the yeah. biggest Netflix series right. of all time from it. So the next year, you were writer and producer of Ball Buster, starring Jerry O'Connell. Let's yeah, about that one. Howard um, had engaged Fred Wolf, who writes for many of Adam Sandler movies, to write this movie loosely based on his experience as a Washington general. Howard, my producing partner, used to play for the Washington Generals. Dated reference, lost in a younger generation, but this is the team that every night would lose in a basketball game to the Harlem Globetrotters. It was staged every night, so they'd lose. And we thought, what if a, an, an NBA player, a huge NBA player, um, was disgraced and court-ordered to tour as a Washington general. So Fred Wolf wrote the first draft. Howard and I rewrote it because the Harlem Globetrotters didn't want to have anything to do with an R-rated comedy, so we had to take them out of it. It became Ballbuster. Jerry O'Connell played the lead. Yeah. Then, same year, I think, Fair Farm. Fair Farm, farm with a P, P-H-A-R-M. What, what's the story behind that? That's one of those movies reversed engineered because we're on the set of Ballbuster, and Dante Yori, who's a brilliant director of photography and the cinematographer for Ballbuster, said, hey, my crew has like three weeks in October. Uh, if you want us, you got us in October. And we thought, let's do it. We'll lock him in. Only problem, we don't have a movie. So Howard and I started sitting around spitballing ideas, and one of his favorite movies was Soylent Green. Again, a dated reference, but look it up. It's essentially this movie, uh, post-apocalyptic, where Charlton Heston, a big action movie star at the time, um, discovers that this food source that is really ending world hunger is made from recycled people. So we took that as a premise and thought, how could we goof that into a gritty horror movie? And so ultimately made this movie where this family is tracing people and tracking people that have a unique DNA whose skin can be used to create a youthful skin serum that ends aging and cures skin cancer. And so that's Fear Farm, a serial killing movie about a family. And then there was Fear Farm 2. 
Yeah, the studio yeah. that released it, Indican Pictures, said, uh, hey, Lionsgate and others want a sequel now, so get to it. So okay. we were already writing it by the time we wrapped production of Here From Work. So the following year, you produced the film Notorious Nick, and that's a film uh, mm -hmm. based on the true story of Nick Newell, who's an MMA champion, I guess, and that starred Cody Christian yeah. and Elizabeth Rahm. Thank God for, uh, you know, Apparition, the movie that I said I pitched when we were thinking about doing Notorious Nick. It took off and subsequently funded all the other movies, and we had budget to make Notorious Nick the way it needed to be made. Um, my props to my producing partner, Howard Bird. I'll always remember that Notorious Nick is the movie that got me called up to the producer's seat. And our other producing partner, Mark DeSalle, who's a legend in that genre, he wrote and produced Bloodsport and uh, Kickboxer, uh, created the, made Jean-Claude Van Damme who he is, in fact, discovered Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, he signed off with Howard on making this movie with us, and his name kind of really helped Was Notorious that. Nick filmed here? Uh, much of it shot near here in Jackson, because oh. Jackson Rancheria uh, had MMA fighting at the time. Oh, okay. Um, but it was in their off season, oh, okay. so it was the perfect. But venue. it wasn't in Roseville, or not, because I remember a film about a boxer being filmed when I first came here. Hmm. But, but no, never mind. Um, this title I love: Six Sixteen Wilford Lane. Yep, Six One Six Wilford Lane. Called that because if you do the research on it. So historically, Christianity believes that 666 is the mark of Satan, the mark of the beast. Um, but papyrus, the ancient reference that, that is the basis of the, the Bible, um, they recently discovered, all of this that I'm telling you is, is true, that they found a missing piece from that that they previously kind of had to guess. Once they plugged that in, they started doing the math and realizing that 666, based on this one piece, it's actually 616 is the mark of the beast. And so that's our callback to oh, that. Okay. So that's what sets up this suspense thriller. Oh, okay. And everything I just told you is surmised in a little paragraph that comes up white text over black in the beginning of the movie. Um, and then we have this suspense thriller that's very much like a Jordan Peele meets Alfred Hitchcock movie. Wow. Um, Eric Roberts, Academy Award nominee Eric Roberts is in it and brilliant. And our young cast in that was brilliant yeah, as yeah. well. And then your lady, I mean, there's more, but we have to whistle because as, as I said, you're a busy guy. So your latest film, F It, F It yeah. List. Oh, oh, wait, there's a Jerry O'Connell. A lot of people have said, hey, we saw your movie. It wasn't that good. Jerry O'Connell made a movie, who was previously in Ballbuster, my movie, made a movie called F It List. It's got nothing to do with my movie. Oh, okay. My movie's Amy's F It List. Oh, Amy's F It. But what sorry. you just said happens all the time. Oh, I'm sorry. And you know what? I have Amy's written down. No, here. it's okay. Amy's yeah. F It List. So that actually, what, tell us about the Cannes Award. Um, so Cannes, so, yeah. as, as it's you say here, so, the Cannes Film Festival, which so, is very yeah. prestigious. So we made, so we made this movie um, on an indie film budget, but we're very proud of the way it looks. Um, again, Howard and I sit down and talk about movies that made us when we were kids, and there was a movie with Michael Douglas called Falling Down, where he's this vigilante who just kind of gets fed up with life and starts taking a swing at everything. Um, we thought it'd be more interesting now and more modern if a young woman, a young millennial woman's going through that. So we, Howard and I, we have daughters and, and women that we asked questions about and really like did this survey and then knocked out a script for this movie called Amy's Effort List, which is that with a little sousance of Thelma and Louise because she has a sister going down the vengeant road with her. 
and made the movie with Alan Allison Gorski, who had been in Notorious Nick. I, I'm sorry, that had been in Six One Six Wilford Lane. Made the movie and just started, you know, doing this festival route. Um, we missed the entry for Toronto Film Festival, but the Toronto Women's Film Festival, which is run by the same organization, loved it, and it became an official entry for that. And then, lo and behold, an, an official entry for Cannes. Wow. This is not this year. This is last year. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, won the People's Choice Awards, the Cannes World Film Festival. Which is for yeah, that I, must I, have been. Were you there? No, because no. we were in, in pre production on right. another movie. That must have been mind blowing to win something like that at Cannes. I mean, if, you just, you're, you if just, you're in the film business, I mean, Cannes is it, right? That's the. I didn't believe it. I, I honestly still doubted it until I, I saw some coverage someone sent me online where you see us on a giant jumbotron, um, and then the trophy arrived. Wow. So that was kind of a that was a surreal moment. So if so if all this isn't enough, television, radio, Emmys, filmmaking, awards, con, you are also an author, and you wrote a book, which I didn't know until I saw huh. and it was a book in the series things to do before you die right right and you did a hundred things to do in sacramento before you die such a fun title before covid came along. right but, uh, but i you know i know that series of books uh -huh. um a hundred things to do in sacramento there's a hundred really fun things to do here oh uh, exactly yeah how dare you all of my friends from out of sacramento are going really are yeah. there even 10 things right, to do in sacramento right, right. and i said when i started researching that book it was a nightmare trying to whittle it down there's so many, many great things, things yeah. to do how did that come about how did you get to do something that's part of a series the uh publisher came to me and asked me if i would do it that that they had done some research and found that they thought maybe i was the guy to do it and I asked CBS if I could do it, and they said, you're under an anchor contract. There's no chance we're letting you do that. And then when I, I parted ways w from CBS, one of the first things positive to happen, um, largely as a result of me changing my life after that DUI, uh, I called them up and I said, hey, if that offer is still on the table, I could do it now. Wow. And they said, yeah. So I wrote that book. That's good. I, I wrote the outline to that book and started writing the items in jail, serving my time for that DUI. Yeah. Um, came out and uh, John Clay, my first boss that I told you about, uh, is now a brilliant book editor. And he did the editing for it. And it came good. out and it did well. And we just released volume number two like six months ago. Oh, there's another one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah just released. Barnes wow. & Noble. You can get wow. 100 Things to Do Before You Die, Sacramento, Barnes & Noble. And we are the Rancho Cordova podcast. So, we, we you know, we cover Rancho Cordova things. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you are a Rancho Cordova business owner. I I, I am. Yeah. Like a, a, less than a Monument Brewery, right? About a block away from here, yeah. yeah. And the Smart Axe Company. Now, let me tell you, the first time I came across one of these stores where you throw axes. While drinking beer. Yeah. Well, I was filming with Raphael, and we were filming a commercial in somewhere, Rockland. And right next door to where we were filming was one of these axe companies. And I thought, what on earth? And that's what you own, right? Yeah, we were the first in Northern California. All roads lead back to movies. Doug Link, the owner of the Esquire IMAX Theater in town, is one of my best friends on the planet. He called from New York City. He may have been drunk. I don't drink. And he said, I'm in a bar throwing an axe, and there's a line wrapped around the block. This is what we need to do. Wow. Are you in? And I said, you had me at hello. Let's do right. this. Wow. And I said, I know a guy that's a great builder. He's like a, an Imagineer for Disney. His name's Jim Corbett. He built the sets for Apparition. If he will be our builder and our partner, 
I'm in. So Doug and Jim and I founded the Smart X Corporation, right. started in Rancho Cordova, and I'm leaving here today, tonight. Uh, our sixth location opens tonight, but our flagship is right here in Rancho Cordova. Wow. Um, on this program, we ask a series of very quick fire questions. Okay. And if I could tempt you with those. But first, right. my final question to you, okay. a serious question. Okay. So looking back at your career, and you've had a career, is there anything that you wish that you had known or done differently when you first started in TV, radio, whatever? Hmm. Would you, is there anything you would have done differently looking back? I wish, I wish I had more confidence then and now and always. I wish I had more confidence because, like, I always thought your confidence had to be equal to your talent or ability. Um, you wish I, you had more confidence then or now? Always. Like always, I, you I, seem like a very confident person to me. I, I, I'm so not, and so many like so many choices I've made in life, like despite the stunting, like a lot of the the choices I've made are you know to stay in safety lane, and um, thank goodness for broadcasting and radio, and I love that, um, I, I because it provided me a very comfortable lifestyle very early on, um, and I've had this conversation with another friend that's in a similar boat. In a, in a way, you wish you would have had the confidence just to go for it and be a starving artist for a little bit longer. Okay, yeah. But, All right. But, but few regrets. So let's get to our fun. They're fun. These are fun. Okay. So what is one word others would use to describe you? I, 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 it depends. Like, people hate me, absolutely hate me and loathe me, <laughs> or I think they like me. So it really depends on who you ask. So but, they would either say hate or love. My friends will say I'm kind. Like the kind. people who know me will yeah. say that I'm kind. You know, we're doing a documentary right now about the food locker. And Carrie Johnson is the executive director. I don't know if you know her. Mm -hmm. But she, I told her, she we were going to lunch today. And I said, oh, I can't go, Carrie. I'm interviewing Mark Allen. You know what she wrote back? No. She said, that's one of the nicest human beings I know. I could show you the email. She Aww. said that. That's one of the nicest human beings I know. That's her email. Well, that that's why that's what I try to tell my kids. I said, yeah. I don't be anything, be nothing but kind. Yeah. And I, like I've I've done things wrong and I've made mistakes and I've I know I've and hurt you, people. And listen, and you, I was very impressed the way you owned up to your to your thing. You did a great job there. Anyway, we got to move on. Okay. You don't okay. Have time. Right. What is one word you would use to describe yourself? Kind. Kind. If you could be a person for a day beside yourself, who would it be and why? Oh no. Gosh, that's hard. That is a difficult question. I mean, you've interviewed so many huge names. You can pick one of those. God, who would I want to be? I, I, I got to be like I I would love to spend a week in Harry Styles shoes. Yeah. Just because like men of a certain who doesn't want our right, youth right. back, right? right? I would love to just be in Harry Styles shoes for like a week. So what is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, people that aren't kind. Unkind people. What is one app on your phone that you could not live without? Hmm. <laughs> I can't see the forest for the trees. Like, it, if my phone, if I even push it to the middle right. of the table, I right. get insecure. Right. I need every app that's app, in yeah. that phone. But I, I would have to say the ability to... 
I don't know. You know which one everybody says? The maps. Maps? Yeah. So you can, you know, navigation. Yeah, I would have to yeah. say, like, it, every ounce of me has gone soft because of something the phone does for me now, right. and it would have to be maps. This one, I think, is going to be easy. If I got into your Netflix account, what am I going to see that you've been watching? Unless, of course, you don't watch Netflix. No, I mean, I do, but, like, like the, the thing I just started watching is that uh, Jason Siegel Harrison Ford um, uh, series. What have I just watched on? Right now, I'm watching a brand new documentary uh, series on Netflix about free diving. Oh, I see. yeah, um, I've been it, watching that. Yeah, it's 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 truly it's breathtaking. Fascinating. Yeah, and it's beautifully shot too. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah. Whoever I, the camera guy who's shooting it is going down with the people that they're shooting, right? Right. Because I mean. How else do they do it? I, I always wonder about that. Like, forget about Tom Cruise jumping out yeah. of the airplane. I always wonder, what about the person that jumped out of the airplane with the camera that's shooting Tom Cruise jumping out of the airplane? This question, if people ask me, I can't answer it, but I'm going to try. Three favorite all-time movies. I'll tell you a movie only because people probably have never seen it. So I love telling people to watch a movie that they've never seen before. And there's a road trip movie that was made in 1985 called Fandango. It was Kevin Costner's very first yeah. movie. Well, technically, his first movie was The Big Chill, but yeah. they edited him out of it. Um, and it's just so a Fandango. Yeah, it's called Fandango. It's not the movie company. So there's a ticket service, Fandango, right? Right. It's did not you... the ticket service. No, no, no. Just... But I mean, you, did they get the name from the movie? Yeah, I don't know. That, no? That's that's a good question. But I mean, it launched a bunch of careers. It was a student film by a guy at USC. And Steven Spielberg saw it and said, you should really make a feature out of this. And so he did, and it launched like the career of Alan Silvestri, who, next to John Williams, is one of the greatest composers of all time. Wow. Okay, two more. Bobby or Oppenheimer? Oh, don't make me make that choice. Oh, well, I, I, we'll end it right now. <laughs> I, 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 I can't make that choice. Both no. are great movies in their right. Um, I haven't I, seen either, by the way. I'll just say this. Everybody's talking about Barbaheimer, so that's how I get off by saying that's both. That's the answer, Barbaheimer. Because yeah. it is conjoined. So if someone asks you again, Barbie or Oppenheimer, say Barbenheimer. Yeah, I'll say Barbenheimer, yeah. but I would reverse the order. You definitely want to see Barbie second. And finally, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from your mother or your father? The biggest lesson I should have learned from my mother is pay yourself first. My mom told me when I was 14 years old, for every dollar you make, pocket a dime. And had I listened to that, oh my God. Not that we wouldn't be sitting here right now, but I would be Zooming you from my private island. Wow. Mark S. Allen, so thank you for your time today. I know you're gonna rush off, probably to interview another A-list Hollywood star. Um, and it's been a real pleasure and an honor to have you here on the Roger Cordova podcast. Charles, what you bring to the community from the day you land in town is so enriching and we're so grateful for you. And I, I'm glad to, I feel like I've wanted to have coffee with you or break bread with you for some time. And I'm just honored to have this time with you. Well, so listen, thank you. Mark, thank you very much for being here. Cheers. Cheers.